0: Very fitting last line there, speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Uh, Fitting as we come to our text this morning from Acts chapter 2, I invite you to turn there in your Bibles you have brought with you, or you can find a pew Bible as well. Acts chapter 2, I'll be reading from the ESV translation. Scripture passage this morning from Acts chapter 2 verse 1 through 21 on this day, the day of, uh, in, in which in the Christian calendar, the liturgical calendar, many churches uh, recognize the day of Pentecost. And so we'll pause this morning and meditate on that specific day and the, the arrival of the Holy Spirit upon the Christians that day. So here now the reading of God's holy word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And how is it that we hear, each of us, in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytites, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked, saying, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So far the reading of God's holy word. May he, by his Holy Spirit, write it upon our hearts as we consider it this morning. Well, last week, together we considered how Jesus ascended in glory to sit at the right hand of the Father. He ascended carrying with him as part of who he is now and forevermore, our own human nature, to show us what is our highest aspiration, to arrive with him in glory. We also saw that Jesus promised to send his Holy Spirit with the express purpose of bringing us to that glorious end as a a promise, a guarantee. And he does this, the Holy Spirit, by uniting us to Christ to receive from him the power of his death and resurrection. And in that way, the Holy Spirit is renewing us and perfecting us in our human nature more and more as we receive life, eternal life, and the energies of God's grace through union with Christ. Now, with that said, it's easy for us to fall into the error of seeing salvation primarily as an individual event. The salvation of just individual souls, perhaps. But we see here with the arrival of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, that God is showing us the larger goal of the Spirit is to gather, renew, and perfect a multi-ethnic people for the Son of God. Of God. Or we could say it this way his goal is to pursue and beautify the multicolored bride of Christ that he pulls the elect from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It reminds me of the story in Genesis where Abraham, uh, the great patriarch, he sends out his servant to find a bride for his son Isaac. And when his servant comes upon Rebekah, It says that he brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to her. And in a similar way, the Holy Spirit is sent out by the Father and by the Son to find the chosen bride of Christ from among the nations and then to lavish her with gifts. Not to impress her, not to win her over with those gifts, but rather in order to present her adorned in beauty to her husband which is Christ. So we see here in this story how the Holy Spirit arrived on the day of Pentecost to begin this work of adorning the Bride of Christ, which consists of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation by washing them with forgiveness and filling them with power to serve. The Holy Spirit filled the apostles and those early believers that were gathered together on that day of Pentecost to serve alongside him in his global mission, to form a beautiful multi-ethnic community of Jesus' followers. And he does the same for us today. He's doing the same thing for us today. Salvation is not primarily about saving individuals for individuals' sake. No, it's about breaking down barriers that exist in life. All of the hostility and animosity that exists between different peoples in order to pull individuals into fellowship, first of all, with God, reconciliation with God, making peace with the Father, but then also reconciliation horizontally, peace with each other, a unity that the world cannot achieve on its own. This is what the Spirit of God does. In his new book entitled, Building a Multi-Ethnic Church, Dr. Derwin Gray, he says this, long before Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., long before Dr. King delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech about reconciliation, forgiveness, and hope, even before time began, the King of Kings had a dream for humanity. The King of Kings has eternally thought about forming a people made up of Jews and Gentiles. It would be the crown jewel of his possession, the passion of his heart, the love of his life, the embodiment of his kingdom on earth. God's multi-ethnic church matters to him, and it must matter to us if we are to be faithful to the gospel in our generation. Well, Last week, we heard from the elders The announcement that we desire here as the church, uh, Ontario United Reformed Church, to pursue that goal in part. To be a multi-ethnic church that reaches all of the residents of the city of Ontario. And it's not just about pragmatism. It's not just in order to reflect the demographics that exist around us. It's rather theological. To join in the mission of God, in the Spirit's mission of bringing more of heaven on earth. What do I mean? Well, in Revelation 5, where we see the Apostle John, he has a vision of Christ's church in the future. The vision of the Bride of Christ in all her glory. The multicolored fullness of the Bride of Christ. And it says, it is a people ransomed for God from every tribe, tongue, tongue language and people and nation. We are, in a sense, desiring that we would join with the Holy Spirit to better reflect that reality here on earth as John saw it in heaven. With the arrival of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, we have been called by God and filled with the Spirit, filled with His power to fulfill that mission more and more. And so with that big picture in mind, I want us to see a few glorious truths here in our text today. First, the Spirit is better than the law. The Spirit is better than the law. Second, the Spirit is better than Babel. And third, the Spirit is better than clergymen. But First, the Spirit is better than the law. What I mean is that the Spirit has given the church something that is better than the law which was given to Israel at Mount Sinai. You know, the celebration of Pentecost. It was a Jewish holiday, one of the seven feast days that was required by God's law, and it was also called the day of or the feast of weeks. It was to be celebrated on 50 days after the Passover festival began. It was a requirement for all Jewish men to make pilgrimage up to Jerusalem, which is why we find uh, these devout Jewish men from every nation as uh, Luke tells us, that had traveled there for this festival. And so they're all gathered there. It was a festival to celebrate the first harvest of the year, but it was more than that, more than just a first fruits uh, festival or harvest. The Passover was a celebration of how God delivered Israel out of Egypt. So 50 days prior, they celebrated Passover, celebrating God's victory of pulling them, saving them out of Egypt. And then Pentecost naturally became a celebration of the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. So just as God saved them out of Egypt and then brought them to Mount Sinai in redemptive history to give them the law of God. So this festival of Pentecost became also a celebration of the giving of the Ten Commandments through Moses to Israel. And it's no coincidence here in Acts 2 that Luke is describing for us the dramatic arrival of God's presence in ways that echo the arrival of God at Mount Sinai. In both instances, there were loud noises like rushing wind, a purifying, consuming fire at Mount Sinai, and also God speaking. In Deuteronomy 4, we read, And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom, Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire, and you heard the sound of words, but you saw no form. There was only a voice, and he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. So the Israelites were given the law of God on tablets of stone, which was a great and glorious thing that they received God's law. But what did it ultimately accomplish for the Israelites? Well, yes, it did clarify to them what God's will is for us, what he wants from us, because God's law, it shows us the way we ought to walk. But God's law alone is not sufficient to change our hearts. In fact, the law of God combined with fallen human nature functions kind of like a a catalyst a catalyst that provokes in us more of a sinful response because without a change of heart the law is only going to provoke a sinful response with human nature and that's why Paul says in 2nd Corinthians 3 6 through 8 that the letter kills referring to the law but the spirit gives life now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? And so we see that the law written on stone, what does it produce? It only produces more and more death because it provokes our sinfulness. It's not able to change our hearts so that we would obey God's law, and so it only produces more and more death. And in fact, if you read Romans 7... Uh, Go home today, this afternoon, read Romans 7. That's what Paul's main point is there. That apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, regenerating our hearts, giving us new life, as we come up against God's law, it's only going to reveal more and more of our sinfulness and provoke more and more of our sin and death. But we see here that the Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, he brings us something that is better than a law written on stone. He gives us new life by faith in Jesus. He filled the apostles and the disciples that day with his presence. And he does that with us as Christians too. And not only that, he writes his law and the gospel on our hearts. No longer on stone, but on our hearts itself. Referring to the the renewal that the Spirit works in the hearts of believers. This is the first and glorious truth that we must grasp because apart from this reality, we are powerless. Apart from the Spirit changing our hearts, we are incapable. Incapable of growing personally in Christ-likeness and incapable of completing our mission together as a church. But with the Holy Spirit depending upon the Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us more and more, changing our hearts, renewing us, reviving us, With God, it is possible. And in fact, it's a guarantee, a promise that He will continue the work that He has begun in us. And only the gospel of Jesus can accomplish this. The Spirit comes and He brings and applies not only the law, but He applies the gospel, which has the power through Jesus' death and resurrection to raise us up to newness of life. And so in this way, Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, has secured for his bride, as we read earlier in Ephesians, has secured with his blood the power to sanctify her, to cleanse her, and to adorn her with all spiritual beauty and righteousness. And we receive these gifts not by works according to the law, but rather by the Holy Spirit, through faith in Christ, by the grace of God. And so first and foremost, the gift of the Holy Spirit is better than the law because the Spirit changes hearts. Secondly, the Spirit is better than Babel, better than Babel. Another parallel passage to this is found in Genesis 11, where we find that all of humanity in the beginning had one common language and they gathered together in a place to build a city for themselves and to make a name for themselves for their own glory and they tried to climb their way up to God to to the heights of human glory by their own ingenuity and strength and in response we read how the Lord reacted and it said come let us go down there and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. There's no mistake about it. Commentators uh, all the way back to the early church have all agreed that Luke here in Acts 2 is intentionally drawing a contrast with what happened at Babel. The day of Pentecost is the great reversal of what happened at Babel. And so we see that instead of man going up, we find God coming down in grace. Instead of God confusing all the people so that they would not be able to understand one another, here we find the apostles and the 120 other believers that were there with them that day, speaking with clarity the different dialects, the different actual native tongues, of those who had gathered from different parts of the world so that there was understanding among them. And instead of segregation and division among the peoples due to language barriers or cultural barriers, we find that the people were brought together in a multi-ethnic unity by faith in Christ. It's the great reversal of what happened at Babel. And that's why Luke emphasizes in verse 5 that there were men from every nation under heaven in a way giving representation to all the tribes, tongues, and nations of the world. And then he later gives us a list of the various nations that were represented there, emphasizing the point for us of what God was doing. Now why? Why did the Spirit do this? Well, not to make a name for humanity, but to make a name for the glory of God. To build a new people, we can say, a new gospel ethnicity, It is no longer defined by or segregated by cultural practices or customs or languages or what kind of food we have or what country we came from, but instead we are united by our common faith in Christ. He is the one that unifies us. As we said earlier, the Spirit came to find and adorn the multicolored bride of Christ from every tribe, tongue, and nation. This is the Spirit's goal. So I was thinking about this, uh, I was thinking about how we, if we're honest, many of us, well all of us, have different preferences when it comes to beauty and uh, attraction, right? And so in finding a spouse, you're attracted to different kinds of characteristics, physical characteristics, and qualities in the other person. And for a variety of reasons, we have different preferences. Uh, in when it comes to attraction we're attracted to different physical features well i was thinking about this that in a sense if we if you allow me to say it jesus is attracted to his multicolored bride from every tribe tongue and nation he has chosen to love his church which looks like a mixture of people from from asia to africa from europe to latin america this is the bride that Christ loves and delights in. And if this is what we know Jesus' bride will ultimately look like in glory forevermore, as John shows us in Revelation 5, shouldn't we desire to see that become more of a reality among us in the church? Shouldn't we seek The Holy Spirit's assistance and guidance to break down every cultural and linguistical barrier that exists so that we as a church will become a mosaic of beauty and culture, of different tiles from different ethnicities and different cultural backgrounds, embracing one another, learning from one another, growing into a beautiful picture of the multicolored bride of Christ. We should. And the Spirit brought about the great reversal of Babel. And if we are willing by faith, He will continue that work here among us. If we are humble enough to lay down at times our own preferences and seek the interests of others above our own. Because this is the multi ethnic goal of the Spirit of God and His mission, His global mission, and it should be ours as well. Now, thirdly, the Spirit we've seen is better than the law better than Babel, and the Spirit is also better than clergymen. What I mean is this, that in the new covenant era, the Spirit of God now anoints and empowers all believers to serve as prophets, priests, and kings in the life of the church and in its ministry. So we as Christians, we should not depend on a select few of people who have the Spirit's anointing, who might be you know clergymen the official appointees like in the past in the old covenant moses and king david and elijah no that's not what we see happening here in acts with the day of pentecost or the model that we see in the early church in fact we are all called and equipped by the spirit of god to serve in the ministry and the mission of the church in a variety of different ways all working together And so the arrival of the spirit meant a communal empowerment so that we would serve together in this way. All with the anointing of Christ. In fact, Numbers 11 is another parallel passage that we find to Acts 2. And there we see again purifying fire come down in the beginning of that chapter. The spirit of God resting on some others besides Moses himself and they began prophesying, and then a wind, a strong wind, came up uh, from the Lord. And at that time, only 70 elders of the Israelites prophesied, and for a short period of time, but then in the story, a couple other men inside the camp, they also prophesied, and the Spirit of God rested upon them. And so, a few young guys, uh, including Joshua, Moses' kind of right-hand man, they they approach Moses and say, "You've got to shut this down. These guys are out of hand. They're not authorized to do this." And how does Moses respond? We see that in numbers 11:29. Moses said, "Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put His spirit on them? You see, Moses wished that the spirit of god would be more greatly distributed more manifested among the people not that only a few would have it why well so that more would hear god's word proclaimed and more would be zealous to keep it and that's what luke is showing us happened in the day of pentecost and since then moses desire has come to fruition it wasn't just that the apostles were speaking the truth of god in their own tongues or in different tongues There were other men and women in different ages, different generations that were speaking and sharing the truth with those gathered that day. It is the priesthood of all believers that we are Christians, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, that means that we have the anointing of Christ to be prophets, priests, and kings. We've been equipped by the Spirit to serve in God's mission and in the ministry of the church. In his commentary, John Stott, On this passage he says the Old Testament expectation was that in the new covenant days the knowledge of God would be universal. And the New Testament authors declare that this has been fulfilled through Christ. In this sense all God's people are now prophets just as all are also priests and kings. And so Luther, Martin Luther the reformer, understood prophecy here as the knowledge of God through Christ which the Holy Spirit kindles and makes to burn through the word of the gospel. Because we know him, we must make him known. As the Lord has brought us all to know him personally by faith, he also kindles within us all the desire to make him known to others around us. And he empowers us to do that. If we are willing by faith and dependent upon him. Now it's true that the day of Pentecost, it was a unique and unrepeated event in redemptive history, it dramatically marked the start of a new epoch epoch in redemptive history. And so we shouldn't expect the same kinds of activities of the Spirit today exactly as they manifest themselves here in this passage. Because it was a special time in the Apostles when God was laying down the foundation of the church with the writing of the New Testament especially But this does not mean that we should not seek more of the Spirit in prayer, more of His presence, more of His filling, more of His life-giving power to love and serve our neighbors. We ought to, we should. And truly the the greatest, well, those men and women who have been used most greatly by God in human history have done just that, sought the Lord in prayer sought more of his power, more manifestations of his spirit in their life, sought true biblical revivals. And John sought again he says, Pentecost has been called and rightly called the first revival, using the word to denote one of those altogether unusual visitations of God, in which a whole community becomes vividly aware of his immediate overpowering presence. The wind and the fire were abnormal, yes, and probably the languages too. The new life and joy, fellowship and worship, freedom, boldness and power were not. Those were not abnormal. Those can be repeated. Those ought to be sought in prayer. Those are things that we should seek in prayer as a community. And so, loved ones, this is what we should seek, that the Spirit would work in our hearts, in way that the law cannot, by the power of the gospel, empowering us more and more to reach all of our neighbors for Christ, to display that multi-ethnic beauty of his bride, and may the Holy Spirit grant us willing hearts to join with him in his global mission for the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we are indeed humbled and recognize our frailty, our weakness, and our utter dependence upon you in all things, but especially in our own personal sanctification and in the building up of your church and reaching the lost, loving our neighbors. These are massive, glorious tasks, and yet we take confidence and trust that you go before us, that you have prepared for us uh, the good works in which we ought to walk, uh, and that you are guiding us and leading us evermore each day. Make us, uh, O Spirit of God, make our hearts willing, uh, soft to your leading, tender to your guidance, that we might follow you, obey you, lay down our own pride, and live for your glory and the good of our neighbor. This we ask for Christ's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. With that, we now come to the table as we trust that the Spirit of God is feeding us uh, with the body and blood of Christ. And again, we see that Christ, in this way, is more and more filling us and equipping us with his own body and blood mysteriously by the presence of his spirit to complete, fulfill our mission as Christians throughout our days. And so, to all of you who have with godly sorrow confessed your sins and have affirmed true faith in Christ, the promise of Jesus is sure. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. For the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of